Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The second reading is 2 Corinthians 1, verses 1 to 11, and it's found on page 1158 of the Church Bibles. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the Church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Claire, thank you very much for reading for us and uh, let me add my welcome to Tim's. Good evening, it's great to have you here. And if you can, keep your Bibles open at that second reading from 2 Corinthians, page 1158 in the Pew Bibles. And let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this most excellent foundation that we have before us tonight, your word. But Father, we do also understand tonight that we need your help, for we are weak we do ask that you would help us to believe what you have written for us. Please help me to preach faithfully. 
for each one of us to, as we hear, believe the words and be changed by them. And we pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. My parents taught me at home until I was 10, and so I didn't go to school until I was 11. And um, being 11, I can very clearly remember those first few weeks at school. You can imagine I was desperate to fit in. It didn't take long to work out how you fit in at school. You sort of work out that there's different groups. If you're sporty, there's the the rugby crowd or the hockey crowd. If you're musical, there's the music group. Um, If you're into computers, there's the IT crowd, the sci-fi crowd. There was the the tough crowd that hung out behind the bike sheds, stone brakes. That's how you found your place in school. Of course, there was one guy in my class, Dave, not, not his real name. And Dave wasn't sporty. He was musical, but for some reason he just didn't fit into the music crowds. He wasn't into computers. He wasn't into sci-fi. He wasn't tough. And in fact, Dave didn't fit in anywhere. And everyone knew it. And in the currency of the school playground, that made Dave weak. And to my shame, one of my strongest memories from those first few weeks at school was the overwhelming desire not to be known as Dave's friend. And I think the reason why is because the world has a problem with weakness. As we grow up, things become a little more sophisticated than the currency of the playground, but the dynamic doesn't change. On Facebook, people boast about their achievements but fail to mention the tears because we want people to like us, and the world doesn't like weakness. Last week, after Theresa May mentioned the uh, the snap election in June, here we go again, there was a big uproar because she also said that she wouldn't be taking part in any live TV debates, remember the uproar, and people saw their chance to accuse her of being weak, of ducking out of the the melting pot of a live TV debate, and if if you can call a leader weak, then you scored a point against them. Because the world doesn't like weakness. Tonight we start a new series in 2 Corinthians. In fact, we'll be looking at this letter together right up through until the summer. And we're going to see that the church in Corinth was in danger of becoming like the world. Because the church in Corinth was in danger of not putting up with weakness. More precisely, they were having a problem with Paul. The Apostle Paul, a few years before, he had visited Corinth. You can read about that visit in Acts 18. And um, it was a good visit. Many people believed his message about Christ. It seemed to go very well. But then after his visit, problems started to emerge. Uh, He wrote his first letter at 1 Corinthians to address some of those issues amongst the church, issues of division and sexual purity and wrong views about Christ and the resurrection. But Even after his letter, 1 Corinthians, the problems didn't go away for this church. And by the time we come to 2 Corinthians, this letter before us tonight, we find that the relationship between Paul and the Corinthians has become strained. And it is because they are starting to find the Apostle Paul just a bit embarrassing. In the impressive world of Corinth, it was a, um, a rich port at a key trading location between east and west. 
It was financially rich. It was culturally rich, full of people with power and great rhetoric. And the Apostle Paul was beginning to look just a little bit pathetic. His Facebook profile was full of setback after setback. His public speaking lacked power and fluency. He had a thorn in his flesh, which I think was some embarrassing physical ailment. Every time he went to speak somewhere, he seemed to be, um, ended up being hounded out of town. He was a joke, a laughingstock in the eyes of the world. And like that guy Dave in my class at school, the Corinthians were starting to think it was time to distance themselves from this weak apostle Paul. At the same time in Corinth, there were other voices in the church. We uh, discover in uh, 2 Corinthians 11 that Paul calls them, I think slightly mockingly, he calls them super apostles. People who claimed to speak for Christ on the behalf of Christ. But unlike Paul, these super apostles were impressive. They were fluent and eloquent. They um, resonated with the world around them. They seemed wise in the currency of the world. They tweeted and posted attractive lifestyles. The blogs they wrote hit all the right cultural buttons. And quite simply, next to these super apostles, well, Paul looked weak. And so as we come to 2 Corinthians, we find the relationship between Paul and the Corinthians hangs in the balance. Uh, just uh, if you looked at in chapter 1, just beyond our reading, just to verse 13, you'll get a flavor of this. To verse 13 of 2 Corinthians 1, Paul writes, for we do not write to you anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that as you have understood us in parts, you'll come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul loves the Corinthians, but will they love him? Will they boast in him or will they leave him? And this matters hugely because Paul is not just some guy in the playground or in the office. He begins his letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul is God's appointed messenger. He preaches and models the authentic gospel. And so a strained relationship with Paul is a strained relationship with Christ himself. And so these Corinthians are in a perilous position as they consider abandoning weak Paul. But for us here tonight in Sheffield, in so many ways, this city is like the city of Corinth. We live in a world that prizes power and strength and fluency. We don't want to be um, out of kilter with the world. We want to look credible. We don't want to be weak in the world's eyes. And there are many voices from the world and from worldly Christians that will encourage us to move away from this kind of weak, pathetic ministry, embarrassing in the world's eyes. And so this term, we desperately need to hear the message of 2 Corinthians. And we're going to see over this term, we're going to see, yes, the the worldly weakness of the gospel. And yet we're going to see the extraordinary otherworldly power of the gospel as well. It's a call for each one of us to stick with, with Paul with Christ, with the gospel, in a world that thinks that weakness is failure. And I wonder, are we up for it? Are we willing this time to stick with Paul, 
weak Paul, pathetic Paul, to listen to his voice and to go against the wisdom of the world. It'll make us weak if we follow in his footsteps. I hope we are up for it. Well, that's all by way of introduction. And so let us now come and dive into the passage before us, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 to 11. And as we turn to these verses, straight away we see that these great themes of of weakness and power, well, they're there as Paul begins his letter. And what do we learn about these themes? Well, here's my first point for us tonight. Suffering is a normal experience of following Christ. After the first few verses where Paul gives the usual introductions, he begins his letter in earnest, verse 3, on a note of praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. It is a brilliant thought, isn't it? God is a God of comfort. Who doesn't want to be comforted? But when we start to think about how Paul begins his letter, we realize that comfort is needed for a reason. We need comfort because, well, in Paul's case, he's experiencing trouble and suffering, hardship. And also he imagines there'll be other people who he will meet who too will also experience trouble. There's a need for comfort because there's also lots of suffering and trouble around. Nor was Paul the first to experience suffering. Look at verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. He's talking about Jesus. He didn't come in glory and splendor, living a life of ease. No, he came as a suffering servant. He was mocked and beaten and opposed by a hostile world, even and up to the point of death. And Jesus Christ sets the pattern for anyone who would follow in his footsteps. And so Paul, the apostle Christ, too, has experienced that pattern of suffering in his life. But it doesn't stop there. Look at the end of verse 6. Paul continues. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we have suffered. Do you see the pattern? It begins with Christ. He suffered. Suffering flows into the life of his apostle Paul. Paul suffers. But then sufferings flow into the life of the Corinthian church. They too suffer as Paul suffered. And so it flows into the life of any genuine Christian who will follow Christ. Suffering is a normal experience of following Christ. A few months ago, I had the joy of being with a number of Christians from a Central Asian country where it is illegal to be a Christian. And um, one particular chap that I was with had very recently been in prison in that country because he was a Christian. Another one had, um, had been forced out of the country because he was a Christian, and now he couldn't come back to visit the rest of his family. He was cut off from his family because he was a Christian. That is suffering for Christ. 
Of course, in this country, we've experienced recently the most unusual season of, of peace, where we've been able to follow Christ publicly without experiencing that kind of suffering from a hostile world. It's been wonderful to have it. And so we might not experience that kind of suffering. And yet, if we are to follow Christ, we will still look weak and foolish in the world's eyes. If we've ever talked to one of our friends in class, at uni, at work, about Jesus, if we've ever talked about the reality of sin and the need for forgiveness, very quickly you realize that we're talking a very different worldview from the world around us. It looks and sounds weak. Last term here in the evening services, we spent seven weeks thinking about sex in a confused culture. Christ's teaching about sex is radically different from the world around us. To, to make us stand publicly in our relationships on these kinds of issues will make us look out of kilter with the world. Think of a Christian who wants to avoid sleeping with her boyfriend or girlfriend. Who does that in this day and age in the world around us? No one. They go for it. But if we're going to follow Christ, it'll mean going against the flow of the world, and it will involve looking weak in the world's eyes, suffering. Of course, suffering can also just be the hassle that comes from serving other people because of Christ, preparing a Bible study, catching up with a friend to support them, even when we're busy, choosing not to pursue a hobby or a sport so that we can commit to our small group for the sake of Christ. There are lots of ways to suffer because of Christ. And we'll think much more about this through 2 Corinthians. But suffering is a normal experience of following Christ. Which makes me concerned when I hear people who describe the Christian life as being one big upward curve of victory and happiness. You know, life is always good and it's always victory. No problems, no suffering, no hardship. Sadly, there are churches around in this country who portray the Christian life in something like those terms, where if you turn to Christ, then he will give you the kind of experience where everything is always good. All your problems will fade away. Life will be sorted. But Paul says, come and follow me as I follow Christ, the one who suffered at the hands of a hostile world. I'm not saying we should go and look for, for suffering to prove that we're kind of you know, genuine followers of Christ. That's not Paul's point at all here tonight. But I think he's thinking about the super apostles around in Corinth who, who preached a life of ease, a life of victory. And I think Paul would say, do they really know Christ? Because Christ suffered and yet these super apostles don't have any suffering in the life of it all. Where's the relationship between Christ and them? And although it's not a particularly cheery topic to begin a series with, I think there is encouragement for us. If we are seeking to follow Christ in our class, in our office, in our friendships, in our homes, and we are experiencing heat and hassle because of it, then the encouragement is that we are following in good footsteps. We are in good company. Suffering is normal experience of following Christ. Well, next, in Christ Suffering leads to comfort. I like the word comfort. It makes me think of slippers. And um, 
a sofa in front of the fire with a cup of tea on a rainy day, just nestling back into the sofa just with some peace. Life, just for that moment, life is good and well and we're at ease. I like, I like comfort. And so the talk of comfort in verse four, is, this is good. We like comfort. But what does Paul mean by comfort? He uses the word again and again in this reading. What does he mean? Look at verse seven. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Whatever Paul means by comfort, it's somehow wrapped up with our suffering. It seems like the two go hand in hand. Just as suffering flows into our life, so also comfort comes flooding into our life. Now, I speak from a completely rhetorical um, perspective on this one, but um, I think it's something like this. Imagine if you were to go for a run, and this is all very theoretical for me, but um, if you go for a run, I imagine that it'll be an experience of pain and agony as um, your, your lungs are bursting for oxygen and your, your legs are, are aching because of the strain. And um, if you like, that's, that's suffering. Certainly in my book, that's suffering. But I'm told, and again, this is all sort of you know, academic knowledge for me, but I'm told that um, as you run, it's also good. Um, people talk about um, endorphins being released in your bloodstream and you have a sort of a, a feel-good factor and certainly at, at the end of the run you get back and you've had a shower and you, you kind of look back on what you've done and you think that's good I'm glad I've gone for a run you feel good about yourself there's a, a kind of comfort but you only get the comfort because you've gone through the suffering of the run you see that the, the two kind of come together in a package you don't get one without the other and they both come together in a very small way But in a very big way, I think that's the dynamic Paul is trying to show us here in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Suffering and comfort go hand in hand. As we experience the suffering of Christ, so also we experience the great comfort of Christ. And as if to make the point, Paul goes on to give us a, a worked example from his life so that we can sort of visualize what he's talking about. So here's the, um, the worked example. It's from verse 8 onwards. He says, verse 8, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. He's almost certainly talking about an incident that we can read about in Acts 19, um, when Paul is in Ephesus. He'd been there for three years, had a very fruitful ministry, and then in the blink of an eye, Demetrius, the silversmith, stirs up a crowd against Paul. The crowd becomes a mob. They are out for blood. And it is clear from Paul's description that his life hung in the balance. You see verse 9? Indeed, our hearts, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. You see, one man caught up in a big city with an angry mob out to kill him. What chance did he have? Here is suffering for Paul for the sake of Christ in his life. I worked example. But look what happens next. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. There's the comfort. This is not armchair 
comfort with our slippers on. This is rather gospel comfort, Christ's comfort. In a moment of crisis, Paul has realized that he has no resources left, no idea, no plan, no backup to get, to get out of this angry mob. And in that moment of suffering, he is forced to cast himself onto Christ. Only Christ will do. And in that moment, he discovers comfort that comes from Christ. So do you see, in Christ, in Paul's life, suffering leads to comfort. This is not a new pattern in the Bible. Our first reading from Isaiah 40, you remember those famous words, God says to his people, comfort, comfort. He is writing to his people when they were in a place of great discomfort. They were, in that point in time, in exile, um, enslaved by a foreign power far from home because of their sin. And they had no chance, humanly speaking, of getting back to the promised land and back into a relationship with God on their own. They were completely um, stuck, humanly speaking. But God says, comfort comfort. I will come and rescue you from your plight. I will send my suffering servant who will come and bring you deliverance. And in in the history of God's people, suffering led to comfort. Again and again, and so too here for Paul, and I think he would say for each one of us here, as we stand up for Christ and experience the heat and hassle from from a world that's opposed to Christ, so we experience gospel comfort in Christ. Please don't mishear me. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with sofas and log fires. They can be a great blessing from God to be enjoyed as gifts from him. But in 2 Corinthians, Paul is unpacking a dynamic that God uses in the lives of his people, a dynamic of suffering first that leads to comfort so that we rely on him. And to the Corinthians in Corinth, embarrassed by this weak apostle, you can see the weight of Paul's point If we distance ourselves from weakness, if we go the world's way of self-reliance, then we are pushing against the very thing that helps us to find true comfort. And yet, uh, so often we cling on to worldly comforts. I was thinking a few uh, just um, this week. For some of us, we cling on to our physical appearance as a source of comfort because we think that it's the way for the world to like us by how we look. Uh, For others, it's the size of our brain. So when it comes to our exams, if we can do well, then we are strong. Comfort. Or maybe for others, it's our ability to kind of control life such that we can create at home a sense of peace and order when there's chaos elsewhere. And so as long as we can get everything together in place at home, then we've got peace, comfort. And yet all these things rely on us. And because they rely on us, they will never come through for us. We will reach the end of our resources. We will be out of our depth. And at some point in the future, the house built on that kind of comfort will come crashing down. But what did Paul discover? In his suffering, he discovered there is one upon whom we can set our hope. One who has plenty enough power to deliver us even from death itself. I don't think Paul knew whether in that moment with the mob coming for him, whether he would live. He might have thought that his time had come. But I think either way, he had found comfort. If he lived by God's kindness, then praise God. 
If he died in that moment, then he knew that God would keep him through death into the new creation beyond mobs and beyond suffering and beyond tears. And that's also great comfort. In Christ, suffering leads to comfort. And finally, very quickly as we finish, our third point is this. The comfort of Christ often comes through others. We see this happening twice in our reading. So in verses three and four, Paul is able to comfort other people because he had first himself received comfort. You can imagine after his his mob experience and after he realized that only Christ would do, he would be an excellent comforter coming to other people who are in trouble saying, let me tell you about this wonderful Christ. He will cover every trouble. Trust in him. God using Paul to remind people about the comfort found in Christ. But it works the other way in our passage. Did you notice? Uh, Verse 11. As Paul was surrounded by the mob and totally overwhelmed, why was he able to set his hope fully on Christ? Well, verse 11. As you, the Corinthians, help us by your prayers. It's a remarkable thought, isn't it? Hundreds of miles away from Ephesus, there were a bunch of Christians kneeling down, I guess they had heard somehow about Paul's plight, and they were, they were praying to God on Paul's behalf that in his suffering he would find comfort. And so he was able to, despite his circumstances, to lift his eyes up to Christ and find great comfort because other people were praying for him. And so in two different ways, the comfort of Christ often comes through others. And there is one huge implication that flows out of this for us tonight. And this isn't very British. I may say this isn't very Corinthian. We need to tell other people about our troubles and our weakness and our sufferings if we are to experience this kind of comfort I don't mind saying that I've had a hard week this week. I've been struggling with two Corinthians all week. I have found tonight's sermon hard to write. At points, I thought I couldn't do it. And um, the irony of this week, and I have felt weak this week, is that I didn't want to tell anyone. I wanted to find a way through this week such that without letting anyone know I'd found it hard, I was able to produce by the end of the week a sermon for you all tonight. Look at me. It's been agony this week. I wrestled and wrestled. I felt so weak doing it. And the irony is that before me, the very passage I'm prepping tells me that we need other Christians to remind us about Christ, and I wasn't doing it. And if I'm slow to learn, I reckon there'll be others here tonight who are slow to learn that it's as we open up about our weakness to other people, so, so often the comfort of Christ is released into our lives by the ministry of others, by their words about Christ, by their prayers for us. And it may not be very British, but can I commend to you and to myself tonight the way of weakness, being honest with maybe not everyone, but in an appropriate way, someone else, about what is actually going on in our hearts
I think it's a strange reality that we almost find it harder to speak to other people than we do to God about our weakness. I think often we're very good at crying out to God in our brokenness, God, please help me. But we find it a lot harder to look at another human and say, can I tell you about what I'm struggling with? And I wonder if, if it's because we're worried about what other people will think in the moment when we tell them exactly what is going on in our lives. We know God knows, but we hope no one else does. And so as long as we can keep the pretense going, we try as best we can. Because we live in a world that has a problem with weakness, and when the world gets into the church, we have a problem being weak around other people because we're afraid of what they'll think of us. But it must be the case for two Corinthians to work that Paul knows about the weakness of the Corinthians and they know about his weakness. Otherwise, the whole thing doesn't work. How can Paul comfort them? How can they pray for him? Unless they know. My time is up. But before we pray as we finish, I just want to leave us all with a question to ponder tonight. And the question is this. When is the last time we allowed other people to see our weakness? When is the last time we allowed them to speak to us words of gospel comfort about Christ? When is the last time we've allowed them to pray that we would actually believe that in Christ we have deliverance from every enemy, even death itself? And then link to that. When is the last time we comforted someone else in their weakness? I'm going to leave just a moment of quiet for you just to think about that question, just on your own, and then I'm going to pray. Father, we do want to thank you tonight for the extraordinary gospel comfort that comes to us in Christ, that we can set our hope on him, for he can deliver us from every enemy, even death itself. And Father, we also want to acknowledge tonight that we have a problem with weakness. Father, would you help us to be a church family that is radically different from the world around us, where we are able to be honest with each other and in doing so, find great gospel comfort as we find a dear Christian speaking back to us words of how only Christ will do. Please help us to be weak and to be comforted. In Jesus' name, amen.